You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. So this morning, it's such an honor to bring this word to you and to have so many of our friends here in this place. This word I'm going to share with you, you know, I I was reminiscing and thinking about this. Some people, they live their lives as if they're already beaten. They live their lives as if the end of their life is a foregone conclusion. They live their lives day by day, just existing from one day to the next, and it seems to be a hopeless time for them. And they're held victim by their own sense of defeat. And it seemed this way as well when Jesus was dead and buried, and this is after being on the cross, and he'd been thrown away to be forgotten. The hopes of the people that had followed him. I mean, imagine, remember, the Bible tells us in one encounter there were 5,000 men. They didn't even count the women. They didn't count the children. There could have easily been 12 to 15,000 people that was following Jesus around at any given time. And not one of them hung around at the end as his body was in the tomb because all hope was lost. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians in chapter 2. Colossians in chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible, but you brought a smartphone, open up your browser and type in there, C-O-L, that's short for Colossians, 2, and put a colon in there, that's the two dots, 13-15. That's our passage today. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. We're going to redeem those smartphones in Jesus' name. I I hardly ever bring my my old school Bible with me uh, because it's faster for me because I've got all my notes here, but I've got like Bibles and commentaries, hundreds of them right here in this one device. So I believe we can redeem these devices for the glory of God. I'm buying you time, by the way. Colossians chapter 3. You ready to read with me? Okay. Reading verses 13 to 15. Here we go. You were dead because of your sins. You were dead because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Everyone, you need to just underline that all. Some of you are thinking there are some sins that are too wicked God can't possibly forgive. I'm here to tell you today, the Bible, is not, I'm not lying, it says it right here. He forgave all our sins, as if you've already done them. Every sin in the past, every sin that you've committed since you woke up this morning, and every sin that you're going to commit for the rest of your life, the Bible says he forgave all all our sins. This is a moment right now you rejoice and give glory to God. 2,000 years ago, he saw and he pictured every single sin. Wow. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it in the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them. I love that. He shamed them by public, publicly by his victory over them on the cross. If you're wondering what that means right there, he shamed them publicly. It is telling you about the triumph 
Incidentally, that's the title of this message, The Triumph. If you've done any study and research on, in, in previous history, particularly Roman history, you'll find out that every time that conquering, uh, that conquering army came back after a massive victory, what they would do is they would bring those captives in chains and they would be dragging them the entire distance from their country all the way back to the capital. In this case, we're talking about Rome and they were completely naked. They were naked. They were dirty. They're in shackles. It was a public shaming so that everyone in that crowd, everyone from that nation would jeer and throw shame at this army that tried to kill them, that tried to annihilate them, that tried to wave their fist at them. They are utterly and completely destroyed. They are completely powerless because they have got no clothes even to hold their dignity, completely, totally ashamed, and they'd be walked across to a place where there was a public execution. That's the reason the kids were dismissed. This is the adult's version. It was a public shaming. It was a time when everyone could rejoice because that threat that was over their nation is now completely and totally destroyed. The triumph. The Bible tells us in verse 13, you were dead because of your sins. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, we're going to have some people saying one day, oh, yeah, 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 but, but, but man, look, Pastor, I've done a lot of good things in my time. I've done a lot of good things. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I know I did some bad things. You know, everyone does bad things. But if you measure up the things that I did right with the things I did wrong, I'm a pretty good guy. So when I stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it's going to be good. Ray Comfort is a, an evangelist, uh, and he's written lots of books, his conferences, but he has a technique called the way of the master. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I'm, starting to sh I'm starting to go this way a little bit. But he, when he comes to people and he's having these conversations, he goes out in public. He'll go to college campuses where you find the most atheists, by the way, in universities. They question everything. They question themselves. They don't even know who they are anymore. And so he goes to them and he asks these questions and, and he has a connection with them. He goes, would you say that you're a good person? And they say, oh, yeah, absolutely. This is after he's asked them a question. Do you believe in God? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Do you believe that you might have committed a sin in some time in your life? Well, what do you mean by sin? Okay. Have you ever lied? Of course, everyone lies. Have you ever thought about a woman with lust in your eyes? You thought about them? You were, oh, of course, everyone does that. Have you, have you ever stolen something? Yes. Okay. So when you appear before the King of kings and the Lord of lords in the place of judgment, the Bible says it is appointed for men to die once and then judgment. How would you go when you know that you, by your own admission, are a lying, sexually immoral, cheating thief? How do you think it's going to go for you at the time of judgment? And all of a sudden, we start to realize that there are consequences to our sins. It doesn't matter if you've done a whole bunch of things wrong. I'm thinking about the guy in the U.S. who killed 10 people, took out a, a, a gun and shot 10 people around him. This happens all the time, it seems, in, in the U.S. in particular. How are you to argue that one? Oh, yeah, but, but, but see, God, you should have seen the rest of my life. I, I did really good. I was actually a church boy. I went to church every Sunday. My parents used to gra grab me and drag me across to, to connect group. We'd go there as well, you know. And then I grew up, and I went to church myself. And look, considering all the good things I did, you know, what's, what's 10 people that I shot dead? 
honestly. What do you think about that? How do you think that's going to stand in court? A popular guest preacher once was asked by the senior pastor in this large, large church, thousands of people. The pastor went up to him and says, uh, I can't say his name, uh, Pastor, I, I don't want you to preach about sin. You can't do that in this church. Oh, really? And I don't want you to, to preach about sexual immorality in this church. Really? And, and, and don't preach about heaven or hell in this church. Really? At this, the guest preacher told the pastor, well, I guess you'll be preaching today because that's exactly what God called me to preach. Goodbye. <laughs> you know how that went. Because sin is not a popular topic that we talk about in churches today. You're going to hear it from this pulpit. We talk about it. Why is it so important? Because they, they tell us you can't preach it because it'll make people nervous. It'll make people uncomfortable. <laughs> I think that's the purpose behind it. It'll make people feel convicted. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to change your life when you realize, I've got to stand and give judgment. It is appointed for men to die once and then face judgment. Maybe it's the manner at which it's been preached in the past when we preach sin. It's, it's just been wicked. It's been fire and brimstone. There's just no love. But you're going to get a lot of love here because I've stuffed up. I've done the wrong things. I've sinned before God. Things I wouldn't ever mention to anyone in my life, ever. But God knows. But I have dealt with that sin, and it is so washed away that God can't even remember. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God separates your sin from you. And unless you're a people who've been around the planet long enough to commit enough sins, you would understand why this is good news. Some of the young ones, I've never sinned in my life. Haven't you? <laughs> Why do we have to preach on sin? Because as long as you hide your sin, the devil has a hold on you. You will try to hide it. You will try and lie about it. You'll try and deceive and even attack others who discover your sin. The Bible tells us there was a man after God's own heart, David the king, King David. The Bible tells us, think about this, a man after God's own heart. This is what he does. He, he this is all like all the Ten Commandments he broke. He envied another woman's wife. At the time when kings go off to war, King David stayed behind. And I don't know, I guess they didn't have private showers, but he's, he's looking around, he sees a chicky babe there having a shower, thinking, hmm, she's fine. She's fine. And he wants to do something about it. He does. He takes it to the next level. So he's already broken envying another person's property and wife. The second thing he does, he commits adultery. He's broken another commandment and thinks it's over and done with. It's okay. It was just a moment. It's fine. And then she sends him word, I'm pregnant. Now what does he have to do? Now he's going to try and cover it up. So he ends up trying to call his, 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 her husband back. Who, by the way, wasn't just an, any ordinary guy. This was one of David's mighty men. These guys took down giants. They were heroes in that nation. He is a close friend, and he slept with the guy's wife. Now he's got to hide it. He says, hey, he says to the commander in charge, you know, Joab, send, send Uriah back. 
And uh, yeah, just send him back. Okay. And then he says to Uriah, come, come and, and go home. Go home and spend time with your wife. And Uriah says, how could I do that when the armies of God, the armies of Israel are fighting a battle? They're doing it tough. I can't go home and just enjoy myself and my wife. I need to be out there in battle. And so he slept at the city gates. So now King David has to take it back into overdrive. So he has him over, and he's giving him wine to drink. He's trying to get him drunk. He says, go back to your wife. Go back to your wife. But even in his drunken state, he would not leave, and he sleeps at the city gate. And so now the deceit that he tried to inflict on Uriah didn't work. Now he has to go to the next thing. That's three sins we've done here. Here's the fourth one. Then he says to Joab, I want you to put Uriah right in the thick of battle, right in the front, okay? And when it's, and when it's heavy enough, I want you to withdraw the armies. I want him killed. Now he's a murderer. Four of ten commandments King David broke, and yet the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. I've got to tell you, when I read things like that, it gives me hope. I'm glad they left that in the Bible because if everything is perfect, what's the point? There's no point in following the Bible. There's no point in being a Christian because everyone is so good. I know people over the past, I'd invite them to come to church. You know what they'd say to me? I can't pastor everyone so perfect in church. <laughs> you know me. Do you know these people? I know their stories. I tell you, they're not perfect. Come to church. You're in good company, sinner. <laughs> when you, you give a hand to the Lord. If you sin and you know what I'm talking about, you should be making some noise. Oh, thank God I'm not the only one. Whoo! <laughs> I'm relieved. <laughs> when you know what sin is, you can deal with it. And you can bury it at the cross. Why do you think Jesus came to the earth? You see, he could have come to eradicate poverty. Jesus could have come to destroy sickness. Jesus could have come to destroy hardship. Jesus could have come to, I will smite the wicked. But he didn't do that. Why? Because that's not why he came. Jesus came to deal with our sin because it was always about restoring relationship with the Father. He loves you, and he couldn't bear the pain of being separated from you and to see the punishment that sin brings into our lives. Imagine if there was no grace of God over our lives it would be hell on earth. Can I tell you right now, many people on this planet, many people in our cities around us right now, in Brisbane, greater Brisbane, are struggling with hell on earth. Their marriages are hell. Their kids are giving them hell. The kids are experiencing hell from the parents. There is so much abuse, even just in our, the outskirts right now, so much abuse in this area, and unspeakable things are happening, and for the most part, the church slumbers. Martin Luther once had a dream that the devil came to visit him. And he came with scroll upon scroll upon scroll because the devil was trying to keep him from being the reformer. You're not good enough to be the reformer, Martin Luther. And he begins having a scroll with every sin that Martin Luther ever committed. And they were long, long scrolls. But Luther exclaimed in this dream, I'm going to quote it for you. You are right. Take up the slate and, I and write more. I'm going to dictate to you what you should write. My sins are many, 
my transgressions in the sight of an infinitely holy God are as countless as the hairs on my head. In me there dwelleth no good thing. But Satan, after the last sin you have recorded, write this announcement down. 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. That's a big clap for the Lord. That's great for us. At this, the devil left. <laughs> the Bible says in verse 14, he canceled the record. That's the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. Now, we read that, and we can't understand the context. So let me explain the context to you. It all had to do with the crucifixion. So here's what the crucifixion is like. You see, the crucifixion was the worst punishment that the Romans could give to any human being. It was the worst. It was the most painful, the most degrading, the most humiliating form of punishment that you could give. You see, if they wanted to kill, if they wanted to kill Jesus quickly and get it done with, it would have been a beheading. Over and done with. Chop. Done. Instead, the crucifixion, what it was, they either tied them with rope, which is not what happened to Jesus, or what they did with Jesus to make it extremely painful, they took a large nail, this big, about a foot long, and slammed it into it. They called it his hand, but the hand was considered the wrist as well because there's two bones on either side. In the middle, you can actually put a nail in there. Not that you would, but that's what happened to Jesus. They nailed each of his wrists into that piece of wood, and then both his feet with one nail smashed it in there. No broken bones, by the way. No broken bones, the Bible says. And the idea was that they would face an agonizing death. It wasn't death by bleeding. It was death by asphyxiation. They were in so much pain. So what would happen is if they were so tired, they let themselves go and hung by their arms and let their feet go, they couldn't breathe. So they had to breathe out and hold for a minute. Then they'd pull themselves up, take a breath to be able to breathe, and just stay upright for a little bit. But meanwhile, there was excruciating pain on their feet because now they're putting all the weight of the nails on both their feet. It's an excruciating agony until they finally gave up because they were too tired. And if they didn't tire in that time period, so what they would do is they would leave them hanging until they died. And if they didn't die in a timely manner, they'd take a, a timber, break their legs so that they would hang and die, just to make it even worse. And then, I'm sorry if I've grossed all of you guys out. I'm just giving you the reality of the cross, because we, we romanticize it, don't we? We get the chain on there with a cross. I believe in Jesus. My, my sins are on the cross. I'm going to wear this around proudly. But today, if you want to make it the same today, it'd be like wearing a, a, an electric chair. Wearing an electric chair. Or, you know, the death syringe that we use today? Yeah, this death syringe you're wearing on your... It's not so romantic now. It was never romantic. The cross was a place of humiliation. Oh, by the way, they were completely naked when they hung on the cross. That's why the Bible talks about him being naked. In pictures, we can't do that. We put a loincloth. The painters put a loincloth there. But he was actually naked. There's nothing you could hide. Everything. Everyone could see everything. And just what they would do then, after you died, they leave your body hanging to decay on that cross while the birds and the dogs came to eat your flesh, to peck at it. That was what was supposed to happen. And then when they finally tired of you, they would throw you in a pit with all the other bodies. You were even denied a burial. But that's not what happened to Jesus. 
But just so that they could warn everyone never to do this, they did that to the worst of the criminals, or if there was a particular crime that was happening all the time, like stealing, they would get thieves and do that. And they would post a scroll on the top to tell people why they're being crucified so they won't do it, right? Here lies a thief. Every time there's a thief, they catch one, they crucify him until eventually there was no thieves left. <laughs> That's how they're able to administer punishment. And I want to tell you right now that Jesus, that scroll there in the, in the physical realm, simply read King of the Jews, not thief, not liar. He claimed to be God. No, it just says King of the Jews. But what you don't see is that all those scrolls, like Martin Luther, scroll upon scroll of every sin you have committed or will ever commit was actually nailed to that cross. Everyone's sins forever was nailed on that cross. The Bible says in verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. He's saying, I'm going to wear your sin. Romans 3.23 is very clear. For the wages of sin is death. You have to die. I'll give this example of a, uh, apparently it was a true story, in a village, I think it might have been China, and they were in food rations. They were in, undergoing a famine. It was a terrible place to be in. And so this old lady, she was just starving, starving to death, and she went into the storehouse and stole just a little bit of supply just so she could feed herself. Well, when the commander of that particular army in the area came around with all his men, he brought all the town folk into a building. And he said to them, it's come to my attention that one of you has broken our sacred promise. We are here to survive. And you have stolen of the rations. And the law is clear that anyone who steals will receive 40 lashes. And so will the culprit come forward. And the old woman was found out. She was dragged forward. And then the commander closed his book, took off his shirt and says, I will take her punishment from, I'll take the punishment from my mom. He took 40 beatings for his mom. Is salvation free? But we treat it like it's nothing. But it costs Jesus everything. How do we know? Because the Bible says before he was taken to be crucified, he was in the garden of Gethsemane praying. Do you know what he was praying? Father God, if it's possible to have a plan B where I don't suffer, that would be good right now. Amen. <laughs> but he stayed there. And he finally came to, but not my will but yours be done. And he walks away to go back to his disciples. Guess what he prayed the second time? I know I said your will be done, but if it's possible <laughs> for a plan B, if you think it was easy for Jesus, think again. All that excruciating pain. And this is what makes Good Friday so powerful. Because once a year, we are reminded that our sins are nailed to that cross. That all that punishment and all that pain that was supposed to be ours, he took it on the cross so that we don't have to die. And Resurrection Sunday today is equally powerful. In fact, you cannot have the cross without the resurrection. 
In the same way, you cannot have the resurrection without the cross. I'll tell you why. All your sins and those scrolls were nailed to that cross. And 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. We had to have the resurrection because the cross will always lead to the resurrection because you can't keep Jesus in the grave. As a young man, D.L. Moody was called upon suddenly to preach a funeral sermon. And so he's hunting through the Gospels, the four Gospels, because he's, it's, oh man, better go real quick, trying to find one story of Christ's funeral sermon. But there's none, not one funeral sermon that Jesus delivered. Because every time Jesus showed up at a funeral, <laughs> he changed it all. Death could not exist where Jesus was because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. When the dead hear his voice, they have to come to life. Let me give you the three recorded events events in Jesus' life. There was a widow of Nain, N-A-I-N. Her son had died, and th that which meant this old woman has no way of surviving now because they depended on men to bring food, to earn an income, to feed them. And she was supposed to stay at home, do the cooking and look after things, but who's going to bring the food in? Her son has died, and there was such grief. Jesus comes along, touches the coffin, and he says, rise up. Jesus ruined the funeral procession. The Bible tells us of Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old girl, who died. And all these people, they're crying and they're wailing. I don't know if you know this, but they actually paid for professional wailers. Professional criers. They would cry at a wedding just to make it really miserable. And they'd extend it for like a week. <laughs> Jesus said, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. I'm like, the guy's an idiot. <laughs> Jesus ruined the funeral wake. And then in Lazarus, John chapter 11, the Bible says that Jesus robbed the grave. And of course, today, we understand as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, he ruined the plans of the jealous religious leaders. He made a mockery of death, and he foiled the plans of the devil, turning a defeat and a, what's supposed to be shame into an absolute glorious victory. You guys are very quiet out there. Have you ever heard of the phrase, it ain't, it ain't over till the fat lady sings? I, I had to look that one up. Bec I know. That's what I do. Because there's much speculation, speculation. Who is the fat lady? And what's over? So I looked it up. Apparently there's mixed stories, but here's the top two. Number one, El Capone, the famous gangster, was enamored with opera. And study the musical scores. He studied the opera records. He even hired tutors to teach him about opera until he regarded himself sufficiently knowledgeable enough to sample the real thing. Accompanied by two bodyguards, he took his seat at the opera house. And after the first aria, <laughs> the goons rose to leave, whereupon Al grabbed them by the coattails. Sit down, he growled. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. Another story suggests that Kate Smith, a very large lady, used to sing the Star Spangled Banner at the end of American football matches in the early 1950s. Thus, one knew the game was over when the fat lady sang. But primarily, it means 
that while the game is still on, the outcome has not yet been decided. It's anyone's game. But at times it seems like people give up too quickly. They believe it's a foregone conclusion. For some people, they're so beaten with life that they've given up. Their wife has left them. The kids have left them. They're, they're, they're addicted to alcohol and drugs. They can't climb out of the bottle. It is over. And they believe their life is over. They're just waiting to die. I've seen old folks in their homes just waiting to die. There's nothing else to live for. They're just ready to die. For others who think to themselves, I'm such a horrible sinner. There's no possible way Jesus can forgive me. I'm just going to wait. till it's, it's a foregone conclusion. I'm going to hell. I'll be there with all my mates. I taught this in foundations. It's not what you think. You're going to be by yourself. It's pitch black. Darkness you can feel with this weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not what you think it is. It won't be a party. And so people become fate accompli. Fate accompli, I, I saw the eyebrows raised, means a thing that has, already that has already happened or been decided before those affected hear about it, leaving them with no option but to accept it. They believe it is fate accompli. I'm going to hell anyway. What's the problem? I don't believe in God. He doesn't believe in me. What's the problem? And the events as they unfolded on Good Friday was that Jesus' fate was sealed. Caiaphas, the priest, says, it's better for one man to die for the people than the whole nation to suffer. They had a traitor among the very closest of the disciples. They had false witnesses. They couldn't agree, but they agreed on one thing, finally. They had Herod, and they were able to manipulate the crowds when he says, left to the crowd, who should I free, Jesus or Barabbas? They all scream, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. So they had Jesus ready to be crucified. And then finally, he died on the cross, crying out with his last breath, it is finished. It is the Greek word, tetelestai. The word, it is finished, tetelestai, means in business, the debt is fully paid. In judgment, in court, it means the sentence is fully served. And in a time of war and battle, it means the battle has been fully won. Isn't perspective powerful? Because an enemy thinks, the devil's thinking, it is finished, I lost. It is finished, I give up. It is finished, I can't do this anymore. It is finished, the devil wins. All the while, Jesus was saying, it is finished. The debt has been paid. It is finished. The sentence of death and bondage has come to an end. It is finished. The battle has been fully won. You owe the devil nothing. You are no longer in bondage to sin, no longer in bondage to disease, no longer in bondage to depression, no longer in bondage to anxiety or depression. Even death has no hold on you anymore. You have nothing to be ashamed about. Your past is buried under a mountain of forgiveness. Your sin is buried under a waterfall of amazing grace. And your failure and shame is buried under the triumph of Jesus. He has won the victor's crown. And the ultimate court of heaven has rendered the verdict of the battle. Jesus has won. And no devil, no lie, no other thing can take that away from you.
Jesus is the victor. And if there's a victor, there's a loser. There's a psychological term called projecting. Projection refers to unconsciously taking unwanted emotions or traits. You, we're going to psychologically evaluate the devil, by the, by the way. This is the devil. Psychologically, uh, it means that you're taking unwanted emotions or traits you don't like about yourself and attributing them to someone else. So when the devil tries to tell you you've lost, remind him he's the loser and been for over 2,000 years. And when the devil reminds you that you're defeated, you remind him of his defeat at Calvary. When the, de when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. You see, we write within the margins of life that, that we're given. But God writes outside the margin. We live page by page, but Jesus already knows the end from the beginning. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.